I, I changed the question I was asking, right? The question went from, you know, who am I now, now that I'm not playing football anymore? It went from who am I to who do I want to become, you know? And that actually really changed everything for me because I started thinking about not only um, what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be in terms of like status or what's my job title, but um, how I wanted to live, you know, how I wanted to be remembered, who I wanted to help. And that was really like the turning point for me. What's up, Jocks? My name is Marina Paul, and welcome to episode 13 of the We Are Jocks podcast, where I interviewed my good friend and athlete transition specialist, Taj Jashan Johnson. The We Are Jocks podcast is a platform for athletes to share their athletic journeys, the highs and the lows, and how they transitioned into the role they're in now. Recently, we've been focusing on this topic of sustainability. What does it mean to create a sports lifestyle that makes you come alive, and how do you even make that happen? Taj shares a major quote on this episode, and after getting to know him, I realized it's truly the theme of how he approaches his incredible transitional services. The quote said by Howard Thurman himself, don't ask yourself what the world needs, ask yourself what makes you come alive, then go and do that, because the world needs more people who have come alive. Taj went through rough transitions himself while playing. He was a highly regarded high school football recruit until he tore his ACL his junior year, limiting him to a select number of schools. Taj worked his way back to earn a scholarship to Stony Brook University, but never quite felt the same as more injuries piled on throughout the years. He knew his childhood dreams of playing the NFL wouldn't come true, but he still had no clue what he wanted to become an expert at. In this podcast, we really hone in on what this transition looks like and what it feels like to be aimless and lost. What it's like to really lose your first love. But my favorite part, athletes and vulnerability. I admitted to Taj that my transition was filled with a lot of shame because mental injuries, unlike physical, don't necessarily have visible proof of healing. I didn't actually know I was getting better or if I was getting worse. Taj says that by not opening up about your hurt or your struggles, you're getting in your own way. He says we need to take our eyes off of ourselves, start thinking about who we want to help and how we want to help them. It's bigger than us. We have to get ourselves to a place where we can help other people. For him, his moment of progress, or what he calls his moment of creating a blank slate and starting new, started when he changed the question he was asking himself. The question went from, who am I now, to who do I want to become? From there, he was able to form a new vision of what he had and what he wanted to become. Okay, maybe he wasn't going to the NFL or making millions out of college, but he was going to build a life for himself that made him come alive. In his transition, he realized that once you're removed from the system, there's not a lot of resources for athletes to turn to. So he's on a mission to build his own system and give one-on-one help to athletes who are struggling through the transition into life after sports. Working with athletes to rewire the way they think and help them set audacious goals. Lastly, I'll leave you with this. Taj says it's on us to redefine what a jock means. We have to take pride in redefining who we are 
and how we want to be perceived. And unless we do it, it's not going to happen. And he couldn't be more right. To get in touch with Taj, visit tajdeshawn.com and set up a free appointment or email Taj at taj at tajdeshawn.com. All the spelling will be in the podcast notes. It was an honor and privilege to interview such a kind-hearted and hard-working human being. I am pumped to share Taj's Jock's journey with you all. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining the We Are Jocks podcast. This week, I'm with my friend Taj Deshawn, who's going to be sharing all about how he is now a transition specialist after sports. Taj, thank you so much for joining me. Marina, thank you so much for having me. I obviously love what you're doing with the podcast, and uh, I'm honored to be a guest. Absolutely, and I'm, I'm so glad that we were connected. And I want to dive right into how you even got into this space for life after sports. Yeah, definitely. I guess I can take you back to the very beginning. Um, So I started playing football when I was 10 years old and fell in love with the game right away. And I had big dreams of going to the NFL Um, right from the time I started playing Pop Warner. um, Started getting some attention pretty early in high school. I would say, you know, around sophomore year, I was getting some decent playing time on varsity. Um, And then going into my junior year, I actually uh, tore my ACL, which you know, I don't have to explain this to you, was very traumatic for me. Um, I remember, you know, I remember being in the car with my mom on the way to the ER, um, you know, after the game and just breaking down and crying because I knew that this was going to throw everything off, you know, um, recruiting wise. Um, And it definitely did, which, you know, everything is kind of a blessing in disguise because I got to learn the business of college football very early after I got injured. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have a it took me some time to get back in the swing of things once I did come back. So a lot of that attention that I was getting, you know, letters in the mail, calls from coaches, which started pretty early, um, invites to camps, you know, coaches coming to visit the school, kind of tapered off a little bit. Um, so I was like, oh, wow, this is an actual, you know, it's not like they just want me because they know my potential. It's like, hey, if you're not performing, there's no interest. And, um, you know, I got to learn that very early. So anyway, um, I did have I wanna- some... Yeah, so I want to talk about tearing your ACL in high school. Not only does it take you out because, you know, you're not able to be like junior year is the most important recruiting year. But also, I think when I tore mine towards the end of college, I had seen, unfortunately, but it's the truth, so many ACL tears that mentally a little bit I could I could prepare or that it was the system was so f- much further developed in college and they had you know the surgeons pt all that on staff i think when you tear your acl or have any sort of traumatic injury like that it's a lot less formulaic in high school they don't necessarily have all the tools for you to you know and timeline for you to come back right back quickly yeah absolutely so there was that um and also the fact that, yeah, I had never really seen it before. You know, this is kind of pre-social mm-hmm. media, um, pre-YouTube type of thing, pre-everything. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, I was completely unprepared for it, just as much, honestly, as I was completely unprepared for the recruiting process, which is why I was kind of so caught off guard once things started to taper off. I thought it was a sure thing just because, you know, they had interest in me as a person as well as a player. Um, and I understand it's a business. So I'm, I'm not bitter about that anymore, although at one time I was. Um, mm-hmm. And going into my senior year, I still did have some interest from a few schools, uh, some, you know, Division One schools, took a few visits, 
um, I don't want to name names because I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. Uh, but when I did go, you know, I'm a California guy. So I, I took a visit to some of these places and whether it was like the weather or just the atmosphere, I was like, nah, I don't know if these places are going to work for me. Uh, you know, uh, I can't really see myself here necessarily. Um, and last minute, Stony Brook University came in. Um, one of the coaches came out to the school. And, you know, once, once again, being, I guess you can say kind of cocky at the time or, you know, having a big ego about where I was realistically. Um, I thought, okay, well, this is a D1 AA program. So, you know, this is kind of a chance for me to go be a big fish in a small pond. That's the way I looked mm -hmm. at it. I thought I was going to go in there and be the man. Um, that didn't end up happening. So went to Stony Brook and um, just mentally, I don't think I was prepared for, of course, you go into the college environment and you're not the best player. Um, and then of course the coaches have a different approach to you than they do during the recruiting process. So I wasn't accustomed to coaches, you know, yelling and being in your face and, um, and really just being a number as opposed to being that guy, you know? So I think it took me a while to adjust. Um, also was pretty injury prone throughout my career at Stony Brook, um, had a few different position coaches also. So needless to say, I didn't have a stellar career there. And, you know, leading into the transition, it's funny because, you know, Marina, even though I knew that I wasn't going to play at the next level, um, I knew that my chances were out the window, I still was completely unprepared for the transition. Um, I'm the first person in my family, you know, at least my immediate family to go to college. Um, I had a cousin who had a football scholarship to Cal and his career ended early due to a back injury. So, you know, other than that, I had never really seen anybody go through, you know, having a full scholarship, graduate college and go out into the real world. So I didn't know what it was supposed to look like. Um, so in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to the NFL. I didn't really have the career I wanted to here, but at least I'm getting my education paid for and I'm getting my degree. And when I go back home, everything's going to be fine. You know, somebody will just be waiting on me with the job, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. keep in mind, I didn't even know what I wanted to do. So it's kind of like, um, I went home and I was thinking like, yeah, I'll just get a job. And by, you know, age 25, I'll be making six figures. I have a, I have a bachelor's degree. I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. Obviously not the case. Um, I went home and really, really struggled because I was kind of aimless. You know what I mean? I just, I, the only thing I really wanted was to be quote unquote successful, to make a lot of money, to, you know, get a nice car, have a nice place. Um, and just, right. I didn't know where I was going. So I was applying for a bunch of jobs, not hearing anything back, not even knowing what I wanted to do, you know, um, to cope with kind of that pain and that uncertainty of the transition. I was just out with a few of my other friends who were back home from school who had just graduated and we would just go out every weekend and get drunk. It was like an extended college, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Which obviously isn't productive because I'm, I'm trying to start my life out and here I am just drinking every weekend to try to numb the pain and applying for jobs and not hearing anything back during the week. Right. Um, That's so hard too. And that directionless, I want to dive in deep to, to maybe like one example of one day or one week that you remember. I can cite an example of, well, I know I'm really good at this soccer thing, but I don't necessarily know what else I'm very good at that's you know, I went to business school and I have graduated this degree. So maybe I should look at jobs that 
have, you know, this subject line, but I didn't necessarily know a lot about what I, what I wanted and what I was good at. And that really sort of fueled me. Um, and there are multiple days where I would wake up and be like, I have no idea what my purpose is because going <laughs> to sit behind a desk and just arriving at the same spot and knowing I'm going to be there for nine hours or whatever was just not, not something I wanted to do. Yeah, for sure. I can definitely relate to that. That's actually what led me into doing what I'm doing now because I had the same exact experience that you did that I think a lot of um, former athletes have because we can go into any environment because of what we've experienced in college or playing professionally and we can, you know, be the top person there at any, Mm -hmm. I I believe that honestly, if we apply that athletic mindset to, um, you know, our whatever corporate environment or, you know, business that we decide to go into. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I noticed a pattern with myself because I was just job hopping. I never stayed anywhere longer than a year. You know, I would get somewhere and then right around the six month mark, once I was kind of like, you know, learning everything, I was performing well, I would get bored and burned out. And like you said, I would just be sitting there wondering what I'm doing with my life or, you know, it would be Sunday night and I would be like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to go back in there for another week, you know, and just mm-hmm. be looking forward to Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started feeling like I, I really, like you said, I, I started feeling like I didn't have a purpose. I was just kind of working for money. Um, I would look at my bosses and be like, I don't even want to be in their shoes five, 10 years from now. So what am I really even doing here? you know? Mm-hmm. And I always felt like if I just had a blueprint in front of me or some kind of playbook, if someone was like, Hey, this is your path. This is what you're supposed to do. Like, I would be like, I would just go after it relentlessly, no matter how long it took. Um, mm-hmm. But not having that feeling can be kind of hopeless, you know? And so right. I really started to dive deep. I started thinking like, um, I, I changed the question I was asking, right? The question went from, you know, who am I now? now that I'm not playing football anymore, it went from who am I to who do I want to become, you know? And that Mm -hmm. actually really changed everything for me because I started thinking about not only um, what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be in terms of like status or what's my job title, but um, how I wanted to live, you know, how I wanted to be remembered, who I wanted to help. And that was really like the turning point for me Um, also a really good book that I recommend to anybody is, um, start with why by Simon Sinek. Mm -hmm. Uh, that book opened my eyes too, because like I started being really intentional about every move that I made, even down to my routines and how I was interacting with people. Um, but anyway, just to kind of sum it up, I realized that the corporate life was not for me. And Mm -hmm. I think it was kind of like you said, the structure, having to sit somewhere for an extended period of time not feeling like I was working on anything that was meaningful, that was really challenging for me. And so I realized that I wanted to go into business for myself because, um, you know, being your own boss, having that kind of lifestyle where I could work from anywhere off a cell phone and a laptop, um, really the underlying thing was, you know, back to start with why was I wanted to have an impact on people and do something that I felt was meaningful. And so that actually led me because after a certain point from the outside looking in, I had quote unquote made it. I was, you know, kind of climbing the ladder a little bit, working for some big name companies, making good money. And, Mm -hmm. but um, inside you weren't, Yeah, you weren't feeling it. Not at all. Inside I was miserable. Um, But because I had it on the outside, 
I noticed that a lot of, you know, guys who graduated after me or even people who I graduated with were kind of coming to me and I was able to help them, you know, with their transitions. And I was thinking to myself, like, I'm able to help people find the right career path or help them go into business for themselves and do all these different things, you know, at least give them the ideas. And and I've always been a good connector too. So connecting them Mm -hmm. with people who I had met and I was like, I should just, you know, actually form a business around this because this is a need that's not going anywhere. Um, And I think there are a lot of people who are working with athletes while they're playing, um, you know, while they're still in the system. And I think Mm -hmm. that work is absolutely needed. But I noticed that once you're removed from that system, once you graduate, you're no longer a part of the NCAA or, you know, once you stop playing for a pro team, there's not a lot of resources for those athletes. And that's who you and I were. And I was like, okay, I definitely think that I can start working with these people and help them um, get to the next level. So right. um, one of the first things, I'm sorry, go ahead. You were going to ask a question. Oh, yeah, no. And I, I was just going to comment on that because I was thinking about a lot about my career and and yours. Like you mentioned a couple key things. And I think one is every day is intentional. So like within your three to four month season, every single day is accounted for and it has a purpose. And for me, that was one of the biggest things working for a large firm is, you know, going in and being like, okay, what is today's purpose? Obviously they all have different purposes, but there was so much weight put on, you know, a Tuesday is like the hardest practice day to prep for the game on Thursday and you have film and all that stuff. So I crave every day having a significant purpose. Mm. And having, you know, this high end goal that you're eventually going to reach. And I think that that's kind of what you touched on going to going to this large corporate, these large corporate companies by, you know, the standard definition of success, you know, making good money, working in a stable job, but we're so used to going after these like high reaching goals knowing that there's going to be failures along the way, but bringing out the best in you and having a purpose for each day, whether that's, you know, recovering, um, getting your treatment or, you know, doing extra fitness, things like that. And even in the off season. So I think that's like one of the biggest things about the transition that's been very hard for me um, about all of this. And then also just like having a team around you who wants those goals too. And, you know, their weekends look a little bit different. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Having uh, that team around you in the the corporate environment is very different when you're accustomed to, and not to knock anybody, but as athletes, we're used to being around other go-getters and, you know, working mm -hmm. for the same goal. And when you're surrounded with people and you're approaching your job or your role in a certain way, like, I'm going to become the absolute best at this and... I'm going to win. We're all going to win together. And other people are kind of dragging through the day. It's not an inspiring environment to be in. And so, you know, it's, it doesn't make it any easier when you're still looking for your purpose and you feel like the people around you aren't necessarily keyed into theirs either. Right. And I just, I actually read one of your articles, um, what was it called? Athletes and vulnerability, getting out of your own way. And I really love this part about telling everyone that you're okay I've experienced a lot of shame in not being able to figure out my transition because mentally, and you, you get this with injury, but you can come back from one of the most brutal injuries there is learn how to straighten your leg and walk again. But 
I was so ashamed with myself that I couldn't make this transition and sort of like figure it out. This has just been the one problem that I haven't really figured it out. And I'm trying to have sort of like more grace with myself, but I don't know if you can talk about that sort of in, in your work, but telling everyone, okay. And keeping, keeping it all trapped inside. Cause you're almost ashamed to admit that I miss sports. You know, it kind of sounds like a childish excuse. <laughs> Yeah, I think, um, unfortunately, sometimes I think it's interpreted that way by others also. It's like, you know, it's just a game, you know, you have to grow up and let the game go. Um, I see people leave comments on certain things uh, about that type of stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think, well, I think number one, unless you've been a part of that world, it's tough to relate to what it's actually like letting go of the game because it really does consume your life and most of us have been playing since we were you know before we even hit puberty so it's like this is literally what has molded your entire life you've built a life around this and although you know you you hear people people will come in and speak or you know people will plant seeds in your mind that you need to be thinking about what you're going to do afterwards um because your life is so consumed by it at the time it's really tough to actually I mean, to be proactive and start mapping that out, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, just because and it's the kind of thing that doesn't become real until it does become real. And so it's it's a combination of things. It's the fact that you're unprepared for what you're about to get into, which is life after sports. Right. Um, And then also unprepared in terms of realizing that no one else is going to be able to relate or sort of give you guidance. And so that was definitely a challenge for me as well, because, you know, we are, we're accustomed to being, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term, superheroes and being the ones that people look up to and admire us for our strength and all the things that we do, you know, our performance on the field or on the court. And we don't, when you don't have that anymore and you're kind of missing it, it can be tough to explain that to people. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, and this was something that I knew when I was, starting my program that had to be addressed. Um, And I don't think I mentioned this yet, but one of the things that I wanted to do, because, you know, we're dealing with some pretty serious issues here. You know, it's almost Mm -hmm. like, uh, like having a, like you lose something big, like losing a best friend, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and you do lose best friends, you lose your teammates, but I'm just talking about. I always call it, I like you lose your first love, (laughs) honestly, I think. That's the exact feeling. It's like, I remember, you know, I got my heart broken in seventh grade. (laughs) and um it when I when I stopped playing football it was kind of like the same exact feeling like wow I haven't felt this in seventh grade like my heart is broken (laughs) you know um it was just really confusing and so Mm -hmm. because of that I actually um when I was first starting out I was I was reaching out to like once I hit the point where I was like okay corporate life is not for me um I want to go into business for myself I know nothing about this I don't know any other business owners so the first thing I have to do is connect with people, like seek out mentorship, right? Um, And I would give that advice to anybody. Whatever you want to do, reach out to people. You'd be surprised how many people will respond to you and be willing to help you just because you asked and told them that you're interested in what they do. Um, So I just started reaching out. I, you know, got on LinkedIn, created a LinkedIn profile, and this was, you know, five years ago, um, and just started reaching out to everyone. Like I would go to lunch with people. um, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was just looking for guidance, like looking for people who, you know, family members knew. And um, I also reached out to a good friend of mine. She, she went to Stony Brook. She wasn't an athlete, 
but she went on to University of Oklahoma. Um, her name is Dr. Sonali Watson, I'm trying to say her name correctly. Um, and she, <laughs> and she um, was a clinical psychologist and she was working with the athletic department at Oklahoma. And she was um, talking about things like athletic identity and publishing research and, you know, doing all this type of work with athletes for her dissertation um, while she was getting her doctorate. And so when I was first putting together the program, I reached out to her because I wanted to basically consult with her um, because I realized how big of a deal this was from an emotional standpoint um, and that I wasn't alone in going through this. So she was instrumental in helping me develop that part because before we get to anything in this program in terms of talking about helping people figure out what they want to do, helping them, you know, um, connecting them with people in the space who can help them get there before we can even do that. We have to deal with this emotional part first. Um, I call it a blank slate. That's actually what the first couple of weeks are about is getting to a point where you can even function, you know, letting these athletes know that there are people like myself out there who understand what they're going through mm -hmm. and giving them tools to get through it so that they can even be like, okay, that chapter of my life is closed. I'm ready to start the next one, you know? Right. Um, so if, if you were to to be, if I were to come to you, which, cause I need to do that for my own <laughs> mental health. Um, if I were to come to you and say, like, what would that look like? Can you give me like a, of how you would work with me to um, help with my transition? Yeah. You mean from the very beginning or? Yeah. From the very beginning. If so, I say I just, or I, I guess we'll just do real time. I'm two years out of playing um, college soccer and still struggling more so not necessarily to find the job piece, but the whole, my whole lifestyle, um, in terms of like trying to figure out how do I can find my team again, how I can, you know, be physically challenged and mentally challenged and set goals and things like that. Yeah. So the first step would be as simple as it sounds talking about it, because a lot of people mm -hmm. don't even have an outlet or someone that they can talk to about what they're experiencing. And they don't even know that other people are experiencing the same thing. So getting it out in the open, having a safe space to, to be able to speak with someone who actually understands what they're going through, getting that out in the open. Um, and from there, um, reminding them that, you know, there's a lot of, we could talk about this for hours. There's a lot of steps in between, but the next logical step after that is reminding them that they're still a role model, right? Because it, it feels like a fall from grace and you feel like it's easy to feel like I'm a failure or have nothing going for me, but reminding them like, you know, you were, no matter what level you played at, even if you rode the bench, you know, it doesn't matter. You still played at an elite level, you know, you still mm -hmm. um, were a part of an elite group. And so um, everybody's kind of waiting to see what you're going to do next, you know, and reminding yeah. these people that reminding these former athletes that you're still a role model. And, um, you know, it all comes back to starting with why reminding them or trying to help them figure out why it is and who they're doing it for. Because, you know, if you get a scholarship, or you know, you're working to get a scholarship or you're on scholarship and you're working to go pro, you're not just doing it for yourself. Of course you want the glory, of course you want the accolades and everything that comes with that, but chances are, you know, you got family who helped you get to that point. You know, um, mm -hmm. you have you want to be a role model to your your little cousins or your little siblings or you know, anybody else who might be looking up to you. So definitely reminding them that you're still a role model and from there, um, trying to change their thought pattern thought patterns, I call it rewiring your brain, you know, in terms of how you speak to yourself, because, you know, I'm sure you went through this, there'd be that little voice in the back of my head, that would be like, 
you're a loser, you know, <laughs> just straight up. Like, you know, she was just talking to me 10 minutes ago. Oh, really? <laughs> no, she's still around. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's always, always there. And something that you said, I, for me, I, for the past two years, I've been thinking about this mental rewiring journey as like wins and losses. I'm like, oh, like, I just, it's just something I have to defeat, but I'm starting to realize just by talking to people like yourself, it's this, it's a process, just like, just like sports were, just like a season was, it's all a process. It's all about the little things and it's all about consistency. Oh my God. um, Yeah. And improving. Yeah, definitely. And it's okay that the voice was there 10 minutes ago for you, because like the thing is, and I I think it gets confused um, where people think that if you're having, you know, like you have to be happy all the time. And that's not the case. Like the mm-hmm. fact of the matter is like, we're all going to have negative or self-defeating thoughts for the rest of our lives. They're always going to be there. But the question is like, how quickly can you bounce back from those thoughts? So whenever I'm working with somebody, my goal isn't to like, we're just going to eliminate this and you're going to be positive 100% of the time. And you're never going to get down on yourself. Like that's not realistic. We're all human beings. So the real goal is to be able to give you that awareness where you can watch those thoughts come in and you can catch them and you can replace those with better thoughts. And that's really what I mean by rewiring your brain, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And, and first of all, it has to be like, we have to figure out why we're actually doing that in the first place. You know what I mean? Why is that important? Because it's Mm -hmm. easy to stay there. It's kind of comfortable. You know, that feeling where you're like, right. I think you talked about this and I went through the same thing where it's like, you wake up in the morning and you're like, uh, I don't even know what I want to do. I'm just going to sleep. And that it's really comfortable yeah. to do that. And you have to have some sort of fire under you to make you even want to defeat those thoughts in the first place. So it's establishing that that's really important, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I really like that. And I think, I think that's all it's, it's all so important, like finding, finding that purpose, even if it's, even if it's like, just a tiny, a tiny little purpose for like why you do what you do for this month or whatever. I think that that's so, so important, but it's so hard to figure out, especially when you don't have a team around you. So the fact that you're building a support system is tremendous. And I think a huge barrier too is athletes don't want to ask for help because then that means you're weak. And like we're mentally and physically wired to not come off as weak because that shows you're vulnerable and then you're going to lose. So I think that that's also a huge transition to, like you said, rewiring your brain to know that like asking for help, especially from someone who's was a former athlete and who went through these like depths of depression and is now, you know, so just understands and gets it can empathize with you is really important um, for us to understand. I think, um, you know, Marina, I think framing it, because getting away from, you know, I have to uphold this certain image of not needing help or being tough, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's almost, and the way I try to frame it whenever I'm working with someone is it's almost your responsibility to get past that because, you know, your your fear of looking a certain way or the pain that you're going through that you keep holding on to, that pain that keeps you in bed in the morning and you know, doesn't have you spring up out of bed and start your day, that pain is holding you back in ways that you may not even know, right? And so um, I try to change the frame of of mind of like, no, you need to do this, you need to like be vulnerable, whatever, you need to like, defeat those or like, 
bounce back from those negative thoughts so you can be happy. But I look at it as it's a responsibility for you to shift those thoughts. It's a responsibility for you to seek out people who can help you so that you can get where you want to go so that you can help the people that you want to help, right? Like taking your eyes off of yourself, because that was something that kept me from being vulnerable because I was just thinking about myself, you know? Like mm-hmm. once it's like, okay, well, I start thinking about my mom or I start thinking about my little brother and what I want to be able to do for them in the future I want to build for them or all the former athletes I'm working with. How can I help these people if I'm not even sharing my story or talking about what I'm experiencing? You know, does that make sense? I know I'm all over the place. So true. <laughs> no, that makes so much sense. And I'm, I'm thinking about it. It's like all those people that whoever have ever helped me along the way, whether it's like everyone from my parents, my brother, to my coaches, to the teachers, to some stranger on the sidewalk who gave me a compliment or, you know, just <laughs> kind. It's like, oh my gosh, like we have a responsibility here. And, you know, that's kind of hypocritical for me to say, you know, leave everyone better than you found them. But it's like how you have to be able to put yourself, get help if you need it you know, address those struggles in order to give back to the people who got you to where you were and and pay it forward sort of to your communities. Absolutely. Yeah. And that becomes a challenge sometimes because kind of like you said, because athletes do have a hard time being vulnerable, it's kind of um, difficult to break through sometimes to be able to get someone to a point where, and I'm talking about before we start working together, like it always breaks my heart, you know, whenever I have a phone call with someone and they decide that they want to figure it out on their own and they don't want the help. And I let them know I'm always there and I'm always available to them if they change their mind. And I try to really explain to them that, you know, this is a responsibility. It's, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than do you want to, um, you know, let someone in to help you. It's bigger than this. It's putting that reason behind it. Like I said, of this is why you need to. Like, you have to do this to get yourself to a place where you can help other people. So, yeah. Oh, so how do we how how do we start with the program? How do we get in touch with you? Yeah, the best way um, I'm pretty accessible, you know, via email. Um, that's Taj at TajDeshawn.com. Um, there's also a place um, on my website under the contact link where you can just you know schedule a time to talk with me. It's 100% free, so you don't have to worry about getting your credit card ready. You just click a time. Um, my calendar is pretty booked right now, but you know, I'll try to get you in for like 30 minutes and we can just figure out where you want to go to see if I can even help you. And one thing I always try to do is if, if I can't help you directly, I have enough contacts or people in my network where I can put you in front of someone who can. So, you know, it's never a waste mm-hmm. of time having a conversation. Um, other than that, besides tajdeshawn.com or my email address, I'm um, always on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So Taj Deshawn on there as well. That's awesome. I am going to sign up right after this. <laughs> um, so something I took a little poll and I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. I took a poll and about 200 former athletes responded to it. And I said, name, write down three words you think define the word that you think society uses to find the word jock. And then I said, write down three words you wish to find the word jock. Hmm. And the three words that they wrote that they thought society perceived a jock as is dumb, athletic, and single-minded. Wow. 
and they want society perceive a jock as intelligent, compassionate, and multifaceted. Hmm. So it was really interesting because nothing in there did any athlete ever say that they ever want someone to think of them as athletic. And I think, I think we all kind of just like inherently do, but I think it's, and these are all people who had finished playing sports. Right. I think there's just this desire for people to see you as an athlete, but like way more, way more than just what you did on a sports field. And I think that's also a very tough issue that I experienced in school. And now in this transition, you know, what is my athletic journey really worth? And because when I was in school, I definitely experienced people were great, but I definitely experienced the, oh, you play a sport, you might not be as smart to be in the classroom. (laughs) And now being outside of it, you know, it's taken me a while to be really proud of the fact that I played a sport in college because automatically people are going to see where I went to school, give me respect for that, but then we'll know that I played a sport. Oh, that's how you got to that school. You know, so I think that, I don't know, this is probably part of your training, but I don't know if you've heard this from other athletes, but that has been a really tough thing for me is like redefining what this, what this jock sort of means. Yeah, that's an interesting poll because when you were like dumb is one of the first things that came to mind for me, unfortunately, when I was thinking about what society would think. And I think like I think about myself when I was there and how I even kind of fit into that. You know what I mean? It's kind of weird how you mm-hmm. you know what society thinks and like, oh, I'm a jock. So this is what I'm supposed to do. Like I'm supposed to wear flip flops to class and sit in the back and, you know, have my earbuds in while class. It's like I was doing all those things while I was playing because this is what society told me that I was. And right. if I could go back, I would definitely do it all over again. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think that we have to start taking pride and redefining for ourselves, not just as former athletes, but obviously, you know, current athletes have to redefine who they are and how they want to be perceived. Because at the end of the day, unless current and former athletes change that perspective, it's right. not going to happen. We have to be the ones to do it. So that's powerful. You got me really thinking with that one. And Right. And, and I think that it's, 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 like you said, it's on us to, to change that narrative. It's on us to sit in the front of the classroom, to dress how we need to, to get respect, to own who we are, show up on the court, on the field, and still show up in the classroom. Um, and I think it's on us, like after, after work and, you know, this is me talking to myself, but what you know when we walk into an office yes be be proud of of what you did of who you are and who you've become and how that has led you to where you are now um and sort of using that self-esteem that you have on the field to carry you you know outside of outside of the field or what you're going to do outside of sports yeah I also and really quick marina i know i know we're on a time limit here um i remember something that you said from I believe this was the first call that we had with, with Chase. Um, mm-hmm. Shout out to Chase from Don't Forget Athletics. <laughs> Do your research, folks. Um, sponsored. <laughs> sponsored by. <laughs> um, He's going to like that. Yeah, I'm sure he will. I think um, I remember from the call, though, you were saying how sometimes as an athlete, you can be in an environment where you feel like you have to tone it down. 
because you're like mm-hmm. this intense person. And I, I kind of think that there's no reason for that. I think if you're in an environment where it's not accepted or embraced or people are trying to tell you to tone it down or, you know, you're too intense because you want to work hard and do your job and you want to win and you want the people around you to win too, then I think mm-hmm. honestly, it's time to start looking for a different environment or creating an environment for yourself, which is what I did. Cause um, yeah. I, I think that's something to definitely look at. You should never, I agree. You should definitely be proud of what you accomplished and, you know, where, you know, how those skills transfer into whatever we want to do in the future um, and being able to use those skills to move forward, to do whatever we want to do and leave a legacy. Cause that's all we want. That's all anybody ever wants really, especially athletes. We want to leave a legacy, you know, mm-hmm. and there's plenty of ways to that's do so that true. outside of your sport. So. Yeah, that's so true. Tasha, if you had to, if you had to leave the planet tomorrow, <laughs> trying, to, trying to say that in the nicest way possible. I was like, no, I, I need to work on my phrasing. <laughs> but if you, if you were to leave something with like a little kid that you met and you knew, you probably wouldn't see them again. What would you, what would you say to them? That, anything that you've learned? Mm, that's a good one. I'm going to use a quote because this is uh, one of my favorite quotes. And I feel like this quote changed my entire life. Um, it's by Howard Thurman. And the quote is, let me see if I can remember this off the top of my head. He says, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go and do that because the world needs more people who have come alive. Oh my gosh, this that was incredible. Thank you. Yeah, I, I thought it was that. incredible too. I, you know, it's not my quote, but it's a quote that definitely like my head exploded when I read that for the first time. I just sat there for a minute That's and right. looked, out, looked out the window you know (laughs) yeah that gives me butterflies like in the best way i'm glad yeah guys thank you so much for tuning into episode 13 of the we are jocks podcast we obviously had a lot to talk about specializing in athletes in transition please 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 go visit taj's website tajdeshawn.com book an appointment um just a free phone call i think for me it's It's been an incredible resource and just to have a friend like Taj, um, you know, knowing someone has your back like that, I think is, is really amazing. Also feel free to email him at Taj at TajDeshawn.com. Guys have a wonderful, wonderful week. Keep up to date with what we're doing on Instagram at WeAreJocks and we will see you again here next Monday. Thank you.